0: That was pretty awesome, right? <laughs> I just there's something about Christmas songs. I mean, for me, I have to s- drop it down like eight octaves, but you know, <laughs> some of those notes. But oh man, I just love I love Christmas songs. If you have your Bibles, we're going to continue our series today. Turn to Luke chapter one in your Bibles or your devices. Uh, before we get into that, just a quick story. I know Will mentioned earlier about the ladies retreat and about you know how much can really happen. And so this is back when we had one child. I'm just going to tell you a quick story that has nothing to do with my message today, but, you know, I'm just going to share it anyway. Uh, So Julie was out. I think it was a woman's Bible study or something. And so I had Daniel, who was, I don't know, about 11 months old at the time or something, not even one yet. And my responsibility was to watch him for like two hours, right? (laughs) No problem. So I'm, you know, I don't know what I was doing, uh, you know, Reading God's word, maybe, or <laughs> in prayer, or not really sure. I don't remember that part, but I remember that it was uh, very quiet. And so I walk am in... I, I don't know where Daniel is, so I'm looking for him. I walk into the kitchen, and in the cupboard was where Julie kept the syrup. And so Daniel had found it, thought that this was cool, and had dumped the whole thing all over the floor. He's, he was crawling through. His pants were soaked. I found him. He was just licking his fingers. He was just like, this is great. Um, so, you know, maybe I need to learn to uh, maybe actually watch my kids when I'm supposed to. So then Julie comes home and, you know, hi, dear. I had Daniel up in the bath trying to get all the syrup off of him. But, uh, yeah, so, but, yes, uh, definitely um, I, I feel more confident now than I do back then and watching our kids for a weekend. All right, <laughs> so we're in Luke chapter one. Uh, last week I challenged you uh, as a way of application after we looked at Mary's song to write your own song. And I sincerely hope that you took that challenge and did that, whether as a family, as an individual, etc. cetera. You, you wrote down um, kind of your story, maybe about the past year of what God has been doing in your lives. I would still encourage you, we'd love to continue sharing them with our church congregation over the next couple of weeks. So please, if you uh, have written them but haven't sent them in, please do so. Uh, We would really appreciate that. If you haven't written them yet, try and get to it this week and send it in. And we'd love to just continue to share those. But we're going to share three of our songs today before we get into Zechariah's song in Luke chapter 1. So we're on our songs. This is the first one. I'm just going to read it for you. Um, all of these are anonymous. Now we understand that there may be ways to tell who they are, and that's okay. It's not that big of a deal. But uh, hopefully, this will give you some encouragement and an example to uh, to uh, spur you on to share your song with the congregation. So, first song: God is faithful even when we are unfaithful, for He cannot disown Himself. Second Timothy two thirteen. God is merciful. Our old car keeps going. Man may mock its many miles, its years of 15 bring us smiles. God is our cornerstone. Our hope is in him alone. We saw him draw three friends this year. Nothing could bring more cheer. God is holy. Create in us a clean heart that desires to be set apart for thy kingdom purposes alone. Isn't that a great song? Second song. 2017, a roller coaster of emotions. A heartache and sadness as my dad was taken home to Jesus left such an ache and emptiness in my heart. But at the same time, I had a peace that I knew only God could give. I knew in my heart my dad was safely home, healed, and in the arms of Jesus. Losing another dear pastor friend left me very angry and confused. Another opportunity to trust God and remember He is in control. He promises to work all things for my good and His glory. Fear of the unknown health issues of my husband, waiting for tests and results. Another opportunity to trust God with the outcome. As I learn to trust, my heart is at peace. God takes my fear sadness, anger, and confusion, and I can rest in him. One more song to share from our congregation this morning. This year has been one of learning to trust that God will make our path straight. Adding a fifth kid was quite a surprise. All right, this is me. <laughs> Just throwing that out there, all right. I do need to give most of the credit to Julie. She did most of this, so. Sorry. Probably like, oh, yeah, "Yeah, this is us. Okay, sorry. (laughs) Desire for a different house or another car was surpassed when the broken furnace ate all our savings. God, in his faithfulness, kept our bank account black and provided for our wants in unexpected ways. Throughout it all, he gently reminded us to rejoice in his salvation and daily grace, to be content and how he reveals his plans and provisions for us, and to count our blessings, all five of them. He has been faithful and will continue to be. As I uh, gathered these songs this week and read over them and really thought about them throughout the week, they were just such a blessing and encouragement to me, and I hope that they are to you. And again, I would just encourage you to take some time to do this if you haven't already, and if you have... Uh, share that. I, I think it, it's just a huge blessing to know that all of us have uh, times of, of struggle. We all have times of, of uh, things going well for us. And, and, you know, we're all just trying to figure out how best to, to deal with those moments as best we can. And so I think it's, it, it was a, a great encouragement to me, and I hope it was to you. So last week we looked at Mary's song, we're continuing our series, The Christmas Playlist, we're looking at the songs of the season, so we're back in Luke chapter 1, and this week we will be studying Zechariah's song, Zechariah's song. Before we get into the song itself, we're going to just give a little background about it. Now, um, I'm going to give you a lot of information today. Kind of, you know, just information, information, information. We're, I'm gonna, we're gonna take a look at uh, how Luke really intertwines these stories, all the connections he makes from from uh, John the Baptist and from Mary, uh, Zechariah, Simeon, Elizabeth, all these characters and how their lives have intertwined. And we're gonna demonstrate that as we talk about the background, and then ultimately we're going to look at the song itself, and then obviously by way of application, there's going to be a challenge for all of us at the end. But let's start with the background. We're in Luke chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 5. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. Luke 1. I need to turn there too. Luke 1, 5 to 25. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, "...who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years." Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear." But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years." They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So here we see the background of, of this passage. We see the, the narrative begin with Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, both from the tribe of Levi. Uh, they are of the priesthood, and Zechariah is working as a priest, and there are a lot of coincidences that take place, right? How the lot was cast on him. It just so happened at that time of year, uh, at this moment, the lot was cast on him. So he goes into uh, to the temple to burn incense. And Gabriel appears to him. A few verses later, Gabriel is also going to appear to Mary and pronounce the Messiah's birth. So Gabriel is pretty busy during this time. But as you read this story, I hope that your mind drew you back to uh, Abraham and Sarah, right? Very similar accounts of a woman who is barren and well advanced in years, of a son who would come of uh, disbelief at first uh, of the pronouncement of this son. And so it's very interesting that Zechariah's faith is challenged here, and uh, initially he fails. We're going to see him have success later on, but initially he fails. But as we think about the background of this text, I want to just kind of uh, show you a little bit, uh, draw some comparisons uh, about some of these stories that are intertwined through the beginning chapters of Luke. And my students will tell you that I am all about charts, man. I love charts. So I'm going to show you two charts. This is the first one. I hope you can read that. I wasn't sure um, if the color would, uh, would work or not. Um, But I just want to show you and and draw some comparisons, if I may, uh, surrounding the key people in this story. So first we see the characters on the left. We see Zechariah, Mary, and Simeon. We're going to look at all three of their songs. We looked at Mary's last week, Zechariah's this week, and in two weeks we're going to look at Simeon's song. But we see that there was a promise made to each one. The promise here to Zechariah was that his wife would bear a son. The promise made to Mary, we looked at it last week, was that she would conceive a son. And then Simeon was also promised something. He was promised that he would see the Messiah. One of the things we're going to focus on, one of the things that Zechariah's song focuses on, Mary's song focused on it last week as well, is the promises of God. I loved what Ray had to sh- share during our offering moment and the idea of prophecy and prophecy is really promises that God makes and we see several promises in the beginning chapters of Luke fulfilled and it's a great reminder for us and one of the applications we're gonna, I'm going to challenge you with in just a few minutes is to think about the promises that God has made you think about ways that you have seen God faithful and so then we have evidence of the fulfillment Evidence of the fulfillment. Zechariah, John, is actually born, and that prompts him then to sing his song. Mary, unborn John the Baptist, leaps in her womb, and Elizabeth recognizes that, she, that Mary is the mother of the Messiah, and that prompts Mary's song. And then Simeon sees Jesus at the temple when he's brought for circumcision, and he responds with his song. So Luke does a masterful job at intertwining uh, these stories related around this time of year. Often when we think about the Christmas story, we think about just uh, Jesus in the manger with the shepherds, etc. But there are a lot of lives here that are affected by Jesus' birth. There are a lot of lives affected and shared about in the beginning of Luke's Gospel. Which is why I love this series that we've chosen so much. It gives us an opportunity to get a glimpse of not just Mary, Joseph, Jesus, but all of the other lives affected by the Christmas story as well. Zechariah, Elizabeth, John the Baptist, he was just John then, and then Simeon at the temple. And so that's a little bit about the background. We're going to skip ahead now to the occasion. We're going to read the account then that prompts Zechariah's song, which is John the Baptist's birth. I keep saying John the Baptist. John's birth. Wasn't John the Baptist yet. He's going to be John. John's birth. So we'll skip ahead in Luke chapter 1 to verse 57. We're going to read verses 57 to, to 67. This is the text right before Uh, Zechariah's song, and uh, notice as we read this, I I want us to begin thinking about a comparison. What we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, John's story of his birth and Jesus' story of his birth, and there's a lot of connections to be made. Again, I know I'm going to give you a lot of information, and then we're going to get into the the heart of the, the song itself. And I know that this might be a lot, but I just want you to stay with me, please, please. Uh, verse 57 to 67, Luke chapter 1. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called john they said to her there is no one among your relatives who has that name then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child he asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment he wrote his name is john immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak praising god The neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And then he goes into his song. But a couple of things to note. First of all, uh, the naming of him. There are many people around who want to give their input about what the name should be. They want it uh, to be a family name. That's a pretty typical thing in families today. I know for our kids, each of their middle names is after a grandparent. And then Amber, because we started running out of grandparents, <laughs> was, uh, was named after my wife's mother middle name. And so we tried to keep names in the family, and so that's exactly what uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth's relatives thought. So, wow, you got to keep the name in the family. Elizabeth says his name is John, and basically everyone around is like, "Uh, are you sure? Let's go ask Zechariah, see what he thinks. And then Zechariah affirms this, yes, his name is John, and then he is able to then communicate again because he was obedient he recognized that this truly was from God. As we think about this occasion, I want to, I have another chart for you today, man, I'm all about those charts. And I want to show you that's a little small. I hope you can read it. There's a lot of comparisons, a lot of parallels to be made between John and his the story of his birth and Jesus. So first, both stories start out with the introduction of the parents. Right? We have uh, for John, obviously we have Zechariah and Elizabeth, and then for Jesus, we have Mary and Joseph. And then the Annunciation by an angel. An angel comes and delivers the message, first to Zechariah and then to Mary. And then we have the giving of a sign in verses 18 to 20, with John as it relates to him, and with Jesus verses 34 to 38. The text also in both cases show the mother's response to being told of this news. Both involve the pregnancy of a childless woman. Elizabeth is barren, and Mary is not yet married. Then both stories go into the birth, and then the circumcision and the naming of the children, John and Jesus. And then the prophetic response, right? Uh, Zechariah's, which we're looking at this week, In two weeks, we're going to look at the prophetic response of Jesus' naming and circumcision, and that's Simeon and his song. And then we have the growth of each child. And so what I think this demonstrates is two things. First, that God is consistent in how he operates, right? The second thing I think this shows us is that these two men are going to be very significant. Now obviously, John recognizes that Jesus is far more significant than he is. But John has a very, very important role as it relates to Messiah. We're going to look at it in just a few minutes as we get into Zechariah's song. The second half of it is Zechariah prophesying about that role. And so we're going to look back at some passages in the Old Testament and look at uh, what John's role is going to be. But I, I look at these comparisons, I think about the similarities in these stories, and I'm just encouraged at how well God plans things out, right? There are times in my life where, you know, I wonder, God, what's going on, what are you doing? But I hope this is encouragement to you that God definitely has a plan. He knows what he's doing. And we could take great comfort in that. So now we've come to, as I like to call it, the meat of the potato. Uh, we are now at the point where we're going to examine a more in-depth now Zechariah's song. I think my sixth grade teacher, Mr. Goff, said meat of the potato. I don't know. Is that an old expression? Anyway. All right. <laughs> my students act like they've never heard it. All right, so now we're going to get into the song itself. Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 79. Uh, We already read the introductory verse, but let me read it again. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So now we're into Zechariah's song. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Then, as we mentioned before, verse 80 gives us just a brief glimpse into John's growing up. It says, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. So here we have Zechariah's song. So we're going to look at it in three parts. Zechariah's song, three parts. Um, two things that uh, Zechariah's song focuses on. It focuses on uh, God's messianic deliverance, and then it focuses on John's significant role in that deliverance. Right, two part, two uh, halves to the song. We're going to break up the first half into two separate parts because I think that that will... Um, help enable us to better understand it. So part one in Zechariah's song, verses 68 to 73, is God's plan. God's plan. Just as we saw with Mary's song, Zechariah references the Old Testament a number of times. And we're going to look at those references in just a second. We're going to be turning uh, throughout our, our, our Bibles today. But I want to first start with the, the recognition of the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit active throughout the first parts of, of this book in, this Christmas, in these Christmas accounts we see the Holy Spirit affect John when, the, when John leaps in his mother's womb. We see the Holy Spirit come upon Elizabeth to make her declaration. We see the Holy Spirit uh, come upon uh, Mary at the conception of Jesus. And here we see, right before Zechariah begins his song, we also see that the Holy Spirit uh, comes upon him as well. The Holy Spirit is often a, for, the forgotten member of the Trinity, right? I, at least for me, I think a lot about the Son and, and what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross and through the empty tomb. And I also think about the Father, right? It's typically who I pray to, make requests of uh, in Jesus' name. But often the Holy Spirit in some ways get overlooked. Yet Jesus claims that It is better for us to be where we are now than to have Jesus standing right next to us. Think about that. It's one of the most startling things, I think, that Jesus says. He says to his disciples, it's better for me to go so that the Holy Spirit can come upon you. I'm going to send him as a gift to you. He's going to indwell you. And he says that that is better for them than for Jesus to stay with them. Think about that. You and I are in a better circumstance to fulfill God's purpose for our lives than the disciples who walked with Jesus were. Think about that. And so I think it is so important for us to recognize the Holy Spirit's role in this uh, account and throughout the Scriptures and in our own lives. Ephesians tells us to be filled with the Spirit. We're also told in in our family devotions, we're going through the fruits of the Spirit. And so we've been looking at those character qualities that uh, tell us that the Spirit is indeed at work in our lives. So I'd just like to challenge you, uh, challenge myself to to think about uh, my interaction with the Holy Spirit who lives within me. That was a little side note. Now let's talk about, uh, in this first part, God's plan as it relates to Israel, right? Zechariah's focus here is the nation of Israel and the promises that God has made, and he mentions two key figures in his song. He mentions Abraham, and he mentions David, and he mentions this idea of covenant, In order for us to understand the the Old Testament, we need to understand the covenants that God made with his people Israel. And so I just want to briefly examine these covenants because it's these covenants that help us appreciate God's plan and the fulfillment of it through John and ultimately through Jesus. So let's go back in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to first examine and just look at briefly the covenant that God made with Abraham. Genesis chapter 12. The covenant is made several times, not only to Abraham, but to Isaac and Jacob as well. So, this is something that is repeated throughout the book of Genesis. Let's look at verses 1 to 3 of Genesis chapter 12, and it reads, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. When God goes on to ratify the covenant, what was done in those days was you had animals that were uh, cut in half and laid in a a pathway, and then the two people making the covenant would walk through it, and that would ratify the the agreement between the two. And basically the symbolism there was, well, if I break this covenant, I'm going to end up like this dead animal, right? That's kind of the idea. Right? It, was, it was a contract made in blood, as it were, right? And so you pass through. But when God makes this covenant with Abraham, he puts Abraham to sleep, and he comes down in the form of a flaming pot and passes through the animals himself. Which basically tells us that Abraham has nothing to do with this covenant. It's for him, but Abraham has to do nothing to keep this covenant. God has promised it to him. It is absolute. It is unconditional. And, and God promises Abram here three things. He promises him a land that he will show him. He promises that he will turn Abram, an old man with an old barren wife, into a great nation. Right? He would give him great uh, uh, descendants. And then he promises him blessing. He says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And notice the last part he says, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God wanted Israel to proclaim the truth about himself to every nation, tribe, and tongue. But ultimately, the fulfillment of every nation being blessed through Abraham comes with Messiah. Messiah. And that's what Zechariah is touching on. He says, God, you promised Abraham this covenant all of these years ago, and now we are at the time where Messiah has come. The fulfillment of this prophecy is here. And he is the one who is going to take up this promise and fulfill it. And certainly all nations of the earth are blessed through what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So God makes this covenant with Abraham so long ago and now Zechariah recognizes what a moment he is living in because he gets to experience this firsthand. As I think about myself in this situation, I think about how excited am I that I live in the time in which I do. How excited are you that you get to live in the time in which you do, where we know the truth that Christ has come. He has died and risen again. He has ascended to the Father, and he could come back any second. What a great time for us to be living in. And how we've seen God throughout Scripture, throughout history, keep his promises made these promises to Abraham so long ago. Zechariah also in his song mentions David. Turn to 2nd Samuel chapter 7. God makes a covenant not only with Abraham but with David as well in 2nd Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to start reading verse 8. 2 Samuel verse chapter 7, starting verse 8. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies." The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be with his father, and he will be my son when he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So God makes a covenant with David. Same way he made a covenant with Abraham. He says, you will have an offspring, a son who will follow you. That's Solomon, and when it talks about uh, him doing wrong, that's Solomon, right? And he's punished for it. But there is also a more important fulfillment of this covenant, and that, of course, is Jesus, that Messiah is going to come, that uh, the seed of David will reestablish David's kingdom, and this kingdom will be eternal, This is why it's so important that we have Christ's genealogy to reflect, to show us that he is from Abraham and from David. And so Zechariah, as he sees his son being born, he recognizes the fact that Messiah is about to also come. Mary's been staying at his house, right? We don't get really a a glimpse into what that was like. But Mary came to stay with Elizabeth. And so Zechariah has been around Mary for months now. Elizabeth's six months pregnant when Mary comes. And now John is being born. So Zechariah has also been with Mary and talked with her. So he recognizes that that. All of the promises that God has made are coming to fruition. They are happening right in front of their eyes. And his only response is, he says, blessed. It really means praise, the idea of praise. Thank God that he has a plan and he is fulfilling his promises. Promises that he made centuries ago. That finally, God is bringing Messiah to the earth. So part one is God's plan. We, and, and we could spend hours looking at uh, prophecies concerning Jesus, uh, all of the things that are fulfilled through Christ. It was mentioned before all of the prophecies, hundreds of prophecies about Jesus that were fulfilled But God has a plan. God has made promises, and he has kept them. And Zechariah is so thankful for that. Part two of uh, Zechariah's song is Israel's Purpose, verses 74 and 75. Let's turn back to Luke chapter 1. Let's reread, just by way of reminder, uh, these two verses that reflect on Israel's purpose. Luke chapter 1, verses 74 and 75. So he mentions the covenant that he promised to David and to Abraham, and then he says, "...to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear..." in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Three items I just want to draw your attention to briefly. says Israel's purpose is to, first of all, live without fear. My uh, life's verse, when I was 13 years old, I uh, attended the Wilds Christian Camp. It was uh, just a few months after I had gotten saved. And it was there that I felt at the age of 13 God's call to go into full-time ministry. Um, But when when we were there, one of the sessions we were at, there was uh, a speaker who was speaking. I I think his name was Rand Hummel, but I'm not entirely sure. But he had started off by sharing a bunch of phobias up on the wall, you know, and that's a fun thing to do, you know, people, and not to belittle anybody who might have these fears, but, you know, most of us, you know, don't struggle with these things, like fear of falling out of your bed at night, and those kinds of things, and, you know, so there was kind of silly things, and, you know, we were all, you know, laughing and enjoying it, and then he put up uh, uh, another phobia, and he said, this one is the fear of witnessing about Jesus, What do you think the room was like? After all this laughter, everyone's like, oh, (laughs) that's so silly, all those phobias, the fear of witnessing. It was silent, right? We didn't think that one was funny. That one hit very close to home. His point ultimately was we should see that as more irrational than all the other phobias that we might see irrational, right? Right? Telling other people about Jesus? I was like, whoa, like he got me. But in the course of his message, as he talked about us being bold, he shared with us a verse, Psalm 118.6, and this is my life verse, Psalm 118.6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do unto me. We do not have to be afraid to serve Jesus. We do not have to be afraid to tell others about him. I know many of us, myself included, have struggled at times to be bold and to, to walk across the room to, to say hi to someone, to generate a conversation, and ultimately to tell someone that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. I understand we've all experienced that, but the reality is we don't have to be afraid. Jesus came and died for us and rose again and gave us his spirit so that we no longer have to be afraid. We can serve God without fear. We don't really get to experience that as much as other people around the world, do we? Who there is a very imminent threat of harm and death against for serving Jesus, but they do it without fear. So the first way, Israel's purpose when it comes to serving God, he says, now we can serve him without fear. And then he says, in holiness and righteousness. In holiness and righteousness. How you and I view our sin matters. Confession matters. Attempting uh, through the Spirit's power to remove sin from our lives is incredibly important. I have this conversation a lot with my students that if we, all of us, truly understood the weight and gravity of our sin and the fact that all sin damages our fellowship with God and that we need to confess it in order for us to feel uh, back and connected with God again, why don't we see our sin as that bad and why don't we practice confession on a regular basis? God has called each one of us to live holy and righteous lives. That is a high standard. So my challenge for you in this regard is to not tolerate sin. Sin. I cannot tolerate sin in my own life. When I'm confronted with my sin, when I recognize that there is something I need uh, to confess, that there's something that is damaging my fellowship with God and that is preventing me from serving Him fully, I need to get rid of it. I need to, to allow the Spirit of God and the Word of God to speak truth into my heart and change it. Are you broken by your sin? So part one, we saw Zechariah demonstrates, he shares for us God's plan, how God has worked, all the promises he made to the Old Testament saints, and now is bringing about fulfillment through Jesus. Jesus. Then we see Israel's purpose in all of this, that now we are able, that, that Israel is able to serve God without fear and with holiness and righteousness. Part three then, to conclude, he gives us John's purpose, that God has raised John up for our particular purpose. Let's read verses 76 to 79 once again. And you, my child. So now he shifts. Before he was talking about Messiah and what Messiah would do and the promises that God made to Israel that he is fulfilling. Now he changes his focus now to his child and his child's role. And that's John. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And so Zechariah recognizes that his son John is going to have a significant role in the ministry of Messiah and that role is to prepare God's people for the coming of their King. He is preparing the way. Turn back to Malachi. We're going to look at a couple, just two more passages. Malachi. Now, Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. We're going to look at the very end of the Old Testament. Remember, if you recall, when we read about uh, the background of this, that in verse 17 of chapter 1, that it is declared that John would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. There's a very important connection prophetically between Elijah and John. So I just want to touch on that briefly and just recognize the purpose that God had placed John into. So Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, the very end of the Old Testament, last two verses, here's what it says. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. The Old Testament ends with a curse, but it ends with hope that God is going to send Elijah as, as uh, re- recognizing that God has a plan and he is bringing about fulfillment of that plan, that Elijah would come. Luke chapter 1, again, we read this early in verse 17, it says that John has come in the spirit and power of Elijah. Let's look at what Jesus has to say about John. Let's turn to uh, the book of Matthew. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17 is the transfiguration of Jesus, and if you recall, Jesus shows his glory, his glory shines through, and then two men come and speak with him, Moses and Elijah. And after the three disciples have experienced this, they have some questions, and there's a conversation that Jesus has with them. Verse 10, Matthew 17. So after the transfiguration, the disciples asked him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer At their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. So the disciples come to him after the transfiguration, after they see Moses and Elijah, and they ask Jesus, why is it that the people say that Elijah has to come first? Jesus says, Malachi, (laughs) right? God told us that Elijah must come first. Then Jesus says something that totally shocks them. He says, Elijah has already come. But the people rejected him, and they're going to reject me. And a light bulb goes off. They say, oh, it's John. John is the one who was prophesied as Elijah who would come to prepare the way for the Lord. As I studied this passage I I, I found myself with a new appreciation of how important John the Baptist is and the role that he has. And then I'm challenged by I need to live like John lives. I need to be bold in my faith. I need to be willing to share to prepare people for Christ's coming so Zechariah's song part one God's plan that God is fulfilling his promises through Messiah and what a wonderful thing that is part two we saw Israel's purpose that because Messiah had come they could now serve God without fear with holiness and righteousness And then finally, part three, John's purpose in all of this, that he comes in the spirit and power of Elijah, that he has come to declare that Messiah is here. I want to look at, as we wrap up our time together, just some applications, some some challenges for us as we have examined Zechariah's song. First, step one, rest in God's plan. Rest in God's plan. We read in some of our songs uh, before, when we began this message how many of us have experienced difficulty and questioning you know, why things are happening the way they are, and it's often difficult for us to know what God is doing. We are called to rest in God's plan, God's promises that he's made to us. I want to challenge you. In uh, resting in God's plan, to take some time this week to journal a little bit. As you think about resting in God's plan, I want you to journal about some of the promises that uh, God has made to you. Some of the promises I thought of um, the Holy Spirit is a promise. That the Holy Spirit has come to guide us in all truth, to counsel us, to comfort us. That's a promise that I can take a hold of. Promises of eternal life forever with God. Something that you and I can take hold of. Promises of forgiveness. That when you and I do sin, that we can confess that and that God is faithful to forgive us. What are some promises that you need to rest in as part of God's plan for your life. Why don't you take some time and think about that? Step two, remove sin from your life. This is where confession comes in. As I was studying, I read a quotation. It says, Our response to salvation and promise is submission. That was really good. Our response to salvation and promise is submission. Submission. My second challenge to you this week is to confess. What are some sins that you need to confess? What are some sins that I need to confess and remove? Our sin is a very serious thing. And the the older I get, the more I realize how sinful I really am. I tell people this often. I didn't realize how selfish I was until we had kids. And then our kids need something, and how easy it is for me, all right, dear, go do it. I can remember times where I'd be sitting in my chair, and, uh, I mean, I was just such a, a bad husband and father at times, and, you know, Daniel would need something, he'd be like eight feet away from me, and Julie would be in the other room, and I'd be like, Julie, Daniel needs this, like, what am I doing, like? But I'm becoming more and more aware as I get older how, how real and my sin is and, and the need that I have to confess it. And I hope that you'll take some time to really analyze and think about what are some sins in my life that I need to remove so that I can live without fear with holiness and righteousness. And then step three, rely on God to accomplish his purpose for your life. God has a purpose for each one of us. I love Ephesians 2.10. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Two, 8 and 9 we're very familiar with. For by grace we have been saved through faith, not of ourselves as the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Whoa. God has a plan for us. Rely on God to accomplish his purpose for your life. What I'd ask you to do here is, uh, after you have journaled a little bit about some promises that you can take hold of, and after you've taken time to confess sin in your life, I would challenge you to, to meditate and think upon what's next. What are the next things that God has for you in your journey with him? What's next? Maybe it's a relationship he wants you to develop with a coworker or a family member. Maybe he wants you to begin discipling someone. Maybe he wants you to begin being discipled by someone. What's next that you feel God has planned for you? I encourage you to think that way. I hope that this is encouraging for you as, as much as it was encouraging for me. As we look at Zechariah and his response that God fulfills his promises. And we can rest in his plan for our lives. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, are so thankful for this time of year where we can recognize and, and celebrate all of the promises that you have made and are fulfilling, that you did fulfill. Father, we thank you for Zechariah's song and, and just the way it points us to recognize that you keep your promises, that you are faithful to us. And Father, I pray that you'd help each of us to rest in your plan for us, that we would rely on you to accomplish what you have for us, whatever that next step is in our lives. Father, I pray that you would help each of us to take some time to recognize sin in our lives and to confess it before you. Father, we just thank you for the plan you have, not only for our lives but in the life of our church. And Father, we just pray that we would leave here rejoicing In your plan, your will, in who you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.